Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. You're tuned in to an all-new edition of Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett. Bradley Sow, former Ole Miss offensive lineman, eight-year NFL vet. He's coming up here shortly, as is Antonio Morales. Good friend of the program. Hasn't been on in two years because Antonio, formerly of the Jackson Clarion Ledger, has moved on to cover USC for the Athletic. But Ole Miss just hired a tight ends coach from USC. So I get to catch up with my friend. But before we jump into it, let me tell you about Modern Woodman. Are you tired of working 9 to 5 for 40 hours every week just to make money for someone else? Well, our sponsor of the Talk of Champions phone line is Thomas Chandler of Modern Woodman, and he's looking to hire new financial representatives here in Mississippi. No background experience is necessary, but you do have to be a resident of Mississippi. And what he's looking for is someone who is highly self-motivated and who wants to make a difference in the lives of others. A full-time position comes with benefits, such as health insurance, a matching 401k, and a pension plan. For more information, feel free to reach out to Thomas personally. You can find him on Facebook, or his number is 662-296-0186. That's 662-296-0186. That's Thomas Chandler of Modern Woodman, a proud sponsor of Talk of Champions. You're listening to Talk of Champions, an Ole Miss Spirit podcast with Ben Garrett. It's up, it's up, it's up, it's up, it's up. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit. Ben on Twitter. On with me, of course co-host, former Ole Miss offensive lineman, eight-year NFL vet. It's Bradley Sound. Today's guest on Talk of Champions is old friend Antonio Morales. Covers USC football for the athletic, formerly of the Jackson Clarion Ledger, where he covered Ole Miss. But he's moved on. And why is Antonio on this podcast today? Well, Ole Miss has hired a tight ends coach, and no one on this beat saw it coming. So, gonna find out all about John David Baker, with Antonio on the Modern Woman phone line in just a little bit. Brad, what's up, man? How you doing? What's up, Ben? When you heard about John David Baker, what'd you think? Um, I was pretty excited about it. I mean, he um, you know, obviously has some NFL experience with him being a player and then um, coming from a, a big-time school. Um, it's always good to get a little presence out in California, especially since they have some talent out there, especially for recruiting. So I think it just helps um, the message with Ole Miss, and that's going a little bit more national in recruiting and stuff, and um, that goes right along with the, with the theme there. We'll get all into John David Baker with Antonio. On Sunday, the Chiefs and the Bucks punched their ticket to the Super Bowl. Jordan Tiamo, he's still in the playoffs. He signed back with the Chiefs on January 12th. They cut him. 
He was with the Lions, then back with the Chiefs. He's going to get a ring regardless if they win. But your boy, Bruce Arians, your former head coach in the NFL, he's in. How you feeling? Oh, I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm bittersweet with it, man, because um, that was one of the teams that I thought, um, you know, if I played this year, I'd be on, um, especially knowing that whole staff. And if you look on the, that, that roster, there's at least five to ten guys back from the, those years whenever we were making the making the run in Arizona. On top of that, it's just pretty much the same staff. So I still talk to a lot of the staff there. Um, gosh, I wish I, I wish if I would have played, I'd, I'd be on the Bucks right now going to the Super Bowl. But um, yeah, I'm happy for him. Bruce is a great coach. He is um, very good X's and O's. Probably the best I've ever been around. And um, you know, adding Tom Brady in there and some of the talent they have, man, I mean, they're going to be tough to beat. Um, although the Chiefs are good too, but yeah, that, that's exciting for them. I, I wish I was a part of it. Shocking that the Bucks made the run that they did. Maybe it shouldn't have been because it's Tom Brady, and Tom Brady. This is what he does. This is what he does. But Tampa Bay will host the Super Bowl, the first home team to host the Super Bowl in the history of the game. But you mentioned Bruce Arians, and he gave a really funny interview afterwards when he was celebrating. Actually dropped an F-bomb on live television. They bleeped him. But you've told me before, of all the coaches you've had, he was probably one of the most influential on your career. Oh, yeah, absolutely, man. So whenever I went – so I started out with the Bucks. I tried out with the Bucks, made the team um, for a day, and they tried to cut me and put me on practice squad where the Colts came in and scooped me up. And – Whenever I got to Indianapolis, that's whenever Chuck Pagano um, got sick, got cancer, and Bruce Arians was the offense coordinator, and he kind of took over as the head coach. Well, Bruce is one of those guys, he, he's, he likes to find the guy that he feels like that if he gives an opportunity to, um, he can make something of him, maybe not the guy that everybody else thought that that was going to be the guy. And I feel like um, I used to, in practice every day, and I was on the kind of on the scout team. Whenever you're a backup lineman, you kind of run some scout team. And I was going against Dwight Freeney and Robert Mathis, and he just couldn't get over how I would try to, I would go after these guys, no matter how good they were, and I would, I would try to fight them, whatever, you know. Like he was so impressed by it. He loves like that junkyard dog mentality. So um, he kind of, I mean, he took a liking to me, and he, he tried to put me in quite a bit when I was with the with the Colts to play, and I did get to play a lot pretty quickly, and then. And once he went to Arizona, Coach Pagano told me, hey, um, Bruce is going to bring you to bring you to Arizona of some sort. He loves you. So, you know, I was pretty, pretty happy to have a guy like him believe in me. And, and I think that gave me some confidence to to really um, you know, go on and have a good career. But, um, yeah, he's he's a perfect example. He's, he's a he definitely gives people chances that um, otherwise probably wouldn't get a chance um, compared to most. You play for the Colts, the Bucks for a day. Arizona, Seattle, Chicago. What's the closest you got to the Super Bowl? So in 2015, our Arizona team was very good. Um, we ended up going 14 and four um, was what we finished up after we lost in the NFC Championship. So that that year we were, had the number one ranked offense, that, um, but we ran into the Panthers. They were 17 and one in the NFC Championship, and um, Michael Orr was on that team, and they they crushed us. So. Um, I got to the NFC Championship. It was fun. I thought we for sure were going to go to the Super Bowl, and it didn't work out. But, um, yeah, that was a fun run. What's that stage like? Because I've heard from other former players that played in the NFL that, yes, the Super Bowl is the Super Bowl. It's the biggest stage <laughs> in the world for football. But the hardest game is the championship round. What's that game like? Yeah, it was um, It was definitely – I mean, there, there was a lot of intensity that week, you know, preparing for it. Um, but yeah, when you take the field, it just has a different feel to it, man. I mean, it, it, you know, you're one game away from the Super Bowl. Every play is, 
is so intense. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's definitely a bloodbath, man. You want that Super Bowl for so many reasons. Obviously it's a legacy thing when you win a Super Bowl on top of, there's some pretty good incentives on it. Um, just like when you watch a baseball game and every pitch kind of counts, it's like every play counts for, for that level and everything just gets turned up, ramped up a bit. So, I was lucky to be on, you know, quite a few playoff teams. I think I only missed the playoff once or twice in my whole career. Um, and yeah, those games are just a different animal. Everybody's fighting for for that Super Bowl because you know when you have that on your resume, it's 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 life changing. It's got to be gutting to be on the losing end, one step away from the Super Bowl. Oh yeah, I mean it's uh, when I, when I saw Aaron Rodgers yesterday or whenever it was, whenever he was doing his interviews, I I, I just, I mean obviously his. I know how he feels. He was a leader of a team, but, but being on a team that's lost, you know, one game away, um, it is very, 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 um, very tough loss and no different than one, one year in Chicago, whenever we double doinked it off the field goal post. I mean, that team was so hot defense was playing amazing. I think if we make that field goal, we, we may have a chance that year too. So when it just, when you're on such a good run you have this really good high, the team's really bonding together, you're enjoying each other. And then when it just comes to an end, man, it is, there's so much emotion that goes into that. Um, you know, you know, it's over with, and then no team is ever the same. You know, you, it's hard to assemble the same team, no matter, even if you have the same players to get that attitude going in the right direction. And that, and that mentality, it's, it's really hard and it's a really special thing. And once it's over, it's, it's a really gutting feeling. College or NFL, what's the toughest loss you ever went through? Um, I would say that Philadelphia game, like the one I just mentioned, that was, um, man, that was, that was really tough because we had, we had, so, we'd really turned the bears around. Um, they had been such a bad organization for, for the last five, six years, probably even more than that before that. And that city was so thirsty for, for a winner. Um, and, and then we started winning and man, everywhere we went, the stadium was full of bears fans, every crowd. And we kind of had like this rock star following where, you know, we, we knew everywhere we went, we were going to have this really cool, like, like, you know, experience. So, uh, man, when that season came to an end, after I thought we were going to do something special in a really major city, um, that that one was. I mean, that took me a while to get over. Um, I really don't know that I'm still over it to the day. I mean, it was that was a fun year in Chicago, Illinois, where where we had it rolling. Does any Ole Miss loss come close? You know, I would say probably the um, maybe the Egg Bowl that whenever um, you know Coach O got fired, that one was tough, especially being up there at the end of the game. Uh, maybe the South Carolina game when I was real young, that one was, was tough to swallow, um, especially with being so high rated and all that. And then, you know, just, just kind of getting humbled there that night. But, you know, those are ones that, that you grew from, you bounced back from. There wasn't, um, you know, quite a, quite a legacy riding on those games. Like if you're in the NFL trying to make the, the Super Bowl and, you know, obviously trying to make quite a bit of more money by making it to the Super Bowl. And then you get to include your family and all kinds of really cool stuff. So, yeah, those ones in the NFL, college college is tough, but NFL is it's a whole nother level because you're trying to you're trying to help everybody's family out, man. There's 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 stuff that goes on that people don't see. There's practice squad guys that benefit from checks. There's there's people that work in the building that benefit from from making it to the Super Bowl with, you know, their family gets a check. I mean, there's all kinds of different different things that you're fighting for that. It's much bigger than just yourself. There's a, there's a lot of people that benefit from making the Super Bowl, and you really wanted that for some of those people. I wanted it for Dawson Knox. He caught the touchdown in the AFC Championship game, and I thought, this is happening. This is happening for a guy that deserved it, didn't catch one single touchdown in his Ole Miss career, all because of Phil Longo. He deserved that moment, but the fact that Jordan is still with the Chiefs, that's pretty sweet too because this is a kid that stepped in when Shea Patterson left. First of all, he took over when he got injured, outperformed him, and then when Shea left, he still produced and produced at a high level, despite the fact that that Ole Miss was 
pretty much fielding the worst statistical defense that it has ever or maybe ever will fields. And, I mean, Wesley McGriss was just that big of a disaster. So Jordan getting that potentially would be awesome. But I want to bring up something because, look, you were in the NFL for a long time. You've been around many a head coach. NFL coaches have to be some of the dumbest people when it comes to math. Now, they'll forget more football than I'll ever know. But when it comes to basic math, they are so stupid. How in the world can Matt LaFleur kick a field goal? I know you got all three timeouts, but kick a field goal and give the ball back to Tom Brady and expect to get it back. That's absolute insanity. Your win probability went down when you settled for a field goal. You got one of the best quarterbacks in the history of the league. I'd much prefer to take my chances with him on fourth down than hope that Tom Brady, my middling defense, can stop Tom Brady and Tom Brady doesn't run the clock out. Give me a break. What are they doing? And then in the Bills game, Sean McDermott. Kicking field goals is not going to beat the Chiefs. And guess what? When you kick the field goal to be down 24 to 15, congrats. Uh, two possession games stayed to two possession games. I, I won't ever understand it. Again, they'll all forget more football than I'll ever know. But when it comes to basic math, a lot of them are stupid. Yeah, well, well here's here's what happens a lot of time, man. These guys get in these these championship games and and they start they start pressing a little bit, start doing things they normally wouldn't do. Um, those are certainly decisions that if they, if they, if say if the Packers would have kicked that field goal, stopped him, got the ball back and won, nobody ever mentions it. Um, but at the end of the day, I think you're right. I, th- I think if you look at that decision there, you have a really good quarterback, one of the best quarterbacks of all time. You got to give him a chance, give him another play. Maybe he gets a touchdown there. Um, yeah, I don't think that the kick it there was the right call, but, um, yeah, when you get in some of these games, man, there's, there's people that, that just, they just do things that the pressure gets to them and, and they, um, you can't quite deliver. So yeah, that, that was, a uh, I just don't know what they were thinking on that, that situation. I, if I have a chance to have, um, Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady with the ball in his hands, I mean, I'm, I'm not taking it out of their hands. So who's your pick? You're riding with your boy, Bruce. Um, I, I'm certainly rooting for the Bucks. I think that there's a lot of people on that staff that had that whenever Bruce left coaching, they actually didn't get, get didn't get hired and deserved to be hired. Um, you know, especially the the offensive line coach I'm really close with. Um, we're really going for them. But whenever I watched the Chiefs, um, I was thinking, hey man, you can't beat Tom Brady. But then you watch the Chiefs, man, they're on another level. Um, you know, and and the problem, the the mismatch in that game is going to be this: Todd Bowles his defense. He is a heavy man coverage guy and he likes to blitz. He likes to, he plays a lot of man and everybody knows that about Todd Bowles. But the problem with the chiefs is when you play man and um, Tyreek Hill, number 10 on their team, that you cannot play him man. And it's, uh, it's just going to be a matter of if the, if Todd will be willing to, to switch his style a little bit to keep 10 in front of him on top of Kelsey, it's just going to be, it's going to be tough for the bucks. It really is. I mean, I, th- I can see Tyreek Hill having, you know, I guess last game he had a ton of yards. I can see him having two hundred yard game versus, versus him. Cause you can't play that guy, man. You have to have safety help. But shouts out to Devin white, former Ole Miss target in recruiting. Shea Patterson's good friend from Louisiana. He's a baller. Guess what? Everybody viewed you as a linebacker. Yeah. Ole Miss told you you'd come in and play some running back. They were going to put you at linebacker too. The idea that you went to LSU and then went on to the NFL thinking that you had any chance of ever playing running back was foolish. But now look at you. You're one of the very best linebackers in the NFL, and you're dominating. So I'm not going to write off Tampa Bay. I think they got a good shot. But we brought up at the top of the hour, John David Baker is the tight ends coach. Antonio Morales, he's going to explain all about John David Baker. I know nothing about the guy. No one on this beat knew anything about him. Came out of nowhere. This is kind of what Lane Kiffin does. This is what he does. 
As far as the defensive line coach position, that's the only one open right now. We still don't know. Marquise Watson, who filled in during the Outback Bowl, he hasn't been officially interviewed. I heard that Jimmy Brumbaugh is not getting hired, so who is it? I don't know. Maybe he pulls a John David Baker. Maybe Jimmy Brumbaugh still does get hired. I don't know. I don't know if I love or hate (laughs) that a lot of these staff moves by Lane Kiffin just come out of nowhere. Actually, I kind of dig it. I kind of dig it because I don't really care about being the first to report a tight ends coach or chasing down coaching rumors or anything like that. I do dig it the way he approaches it in terms of he identifies his guy, he goes and gets it done, and he moves on. There's not really any pomp or circumstance when it comes to these things. But we're all kind of in the dark a little bit, everybody, and we're not used to being that way. Uh, We do know that Jimmy Brumbaugh did interview, and uh, we do know that Marquise Watson hasn't officially interviewed. I don't know if he necessarily even needs to officially interview. But who else could be candidates? I don't know. I don't know, but I do know one thing. Whoever he does hire will be directly impacting the recruitment of Taiwan Malone. And Taiwan Malone visited over the weekend. He didn't go to Tennessee. He was supposed to split the weekend going to Tennessee, but Tennessee's a mess. And apparently, they all go well. All official visits go well. But apparently, at this juncture, as we're recording, January 26th, as you're listening, he's Ole Misses to lose. Yeah, I mean that's that's everything I'm hearing as well. Um, I, I, I think he had a really good visit. I think the um, you know the baseball staffs obviously helping with this as well. Um, on top of um, you know I think it's a joint effort. So yeah, I mean everything I'm hearing it sounds pretty good. I was worried there for a little while, but um, yeah, I think that, that we have, we have a real shot of getting him. We'll get right back to Bradley Sal, former Ole Miss offensive lineman with Antonio Morales, coming up on the Modern Woman phone line after I tell you briefly about Alan Samuel's Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford a proud sponsor of Talk of Champions. It's a new year. 2020, that awful, awful year, is behind us, thank goodness. And that means new beginnings. Maybe even a new car. Well, if you're in the market, there's only one place to go. Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. They're going to take care of you, get you into your next vehicle with a great deal. Their inventory right now is priced to sell, and what separates Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford is Brian and Mason and the rest of the staff. They aim to address each of your needs with the utmost respect, care, and attention to detail. And when you go, make sure to mention that Talk of Champions sent you. These guys are hardcore Ole Miss fans. They're going to want to talk some Rebel sports. But more importantly, they want to make the process as seamless as possible, that you get what you want at a good price. So contact them today at 662-234-8000. You can stop by and see them in person at 2201 East University Avenue. That's just past Kroger. Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. That's where you got to go to find your next perfect car, truck, or Jeep. Alan Samuels, let's be friends. You're really worried. Look, don't pretend. I could show people the text messages. You were devastated. This was your guy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he, he's someone I think is um, he's a game changer for our defense. I really do. I think he would be, um, you know, I think he would be a piece that that Ole Miss would um, you know, could build around. I think obviously you're adding some JUCO guys as well, but I see him as playing pretty early and um, you know having a chance to be a be a guy that changes um, changes that defense. Yeah, everything I'm getting is that he's an instant impact guy. We hear that about a lot of different people, but Benito Jones, he did it. Jarrell Poe, he did it. I think he's kind of in that mold. I think he's similar to those guys. I think he steps in, and I don't know if he's going to be a dominant starter from day one, but at the very least, depth-wise, he's going to get significant minutes, and he's going to make an impact, and that's what you need. 
That's what they need from their defensive tackles because this year they just kind of made it work with what they had. Now they have real bodies. Jamon Gordon's on campus. Iton's on campus. And if Tywin Malone does pull the trigger on Ole Miss, that's a really good group. And, and look, the way you um, avoid busts is you collect as much talent as possible. I know that sounds so simple and so stupid, but it's true. That's what Alabama does. Now, not everybody's Alabama. And Ole Miss will never be Alabama because no one can do what Alabama does in recruiting. But the reason why Alabama is draft-proof or departure-proof is because they accumulate the best talent at every position in droves. A Nigel Knight, who is a four-star coming out of high school, goes to Alabama. He never plays at Alabama, but Shai Carter did. Other guys did. They take their chances. Get six or seven four-stars, two or three is all you need to hit. Same thing with Ole Miss and defensive tackles. So getting this quality of a player and combining them with what you already have that's not only a great place to start, that significantly impacts how good you could be next year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's he's definitely going to be a huge piece um, coming into next year. They, they've got to get this kid. He's he's definitely a game changer. Who was almost worried about? Is it Texas A&M? I think A&M, yeah. I think they're a little worried about A&M, but um, that seemed to be and, – and, and listen, if you notice the, the trend of his recruitment – Every other school he was looking at was, you know, had a pretty good baseball program as well. So um, that that I think is is a much more key than people realize. He he really wants to be a baseball player as well. I want to see him on a baseball field. I want to see. I want to see him and Kemp Alderman, both big fellas out there just hitting tanks. Kemp Alderman, I was I think Peyton Shatner. He said on this podcast last week. Kemp Alderman is hitting balls harder than any of these players and coaches have ever seen before. And Peyton said that he hit a ball out to left field that actually left the stadium, that literally left the stadium. All home runs leave the yard, yes, but leave the stadium, as in it landed in the parking lot beyond left field. I want to see tanks. I want to see big fellas hitting tanks. That's my ideal baseball team. And then, worst case, whenever he ever gets pegged and wants to charge the mound, I feel pretty good about it. Yes. Oh, yes, yes, yeah. I wouldn't want to be that pitcher. Just don't throw high and tight. <laughs> no doubt. That is not in your best interest. But what's interesting about this entire recruitment process for him and for all these recruits in the signing class that Ole Miss landed, this decorated signing class that they closed so strong with, they did it without any in-person contact from the coaches, no off-campus visits, no spring evaluation periods. Kids can't come to campus. And that dead period has been extended to June 1st. And it's been like this since last March. This could be a complete repeat of last year, but this coaching staff has proven that it doesn't matter. They can still land talent doing this. They put this together, all of this together over Zoom. And now at John David Baker, the one thing we do know is that recruiting-wise, he's as heralded as Chris Partridge or whoever is the best recruiter on this staff. He's amongst that company. I mean, but one weekend in or maybe two did Ole Miss get before COVID hit, and yet they still did all of this. And to be in this position for a Taiwan Malone, when in January, due to the early signing period, there are so few prospects, quality top-end prospects left, to be in the driver's seat, potentially, be the front runner for Taiwan Malone, 
That's another big recruiting feather in the hat for Lane Kiffin and staff. And I know that's kind of obvious to say, but just look at the circumstances. Think about what Ole Miss has to recruit against anyway to land these type of prospects. Think about where the kid's coming from. He's from Jersey, right? Mm-hmm. And they're doing this. They're, they're doing this without having any of these kids, really. And yes, Taiwan Malone came on campus this weekend, but doing this in a dead period that has been going on since March and has now been extended to June. I just don't think it can be overstated. The quality of the job that Lane Kiffin and his staff did, because only, I think, like four or five months ago, around Halloween, a lot of people had concern. Now a lot of those people are eating crow. I never really gave my opinion about recruiting because I don't know enough about it. I don't cover it every day anymore. But people I would have on would express some concern. Some of them a little over the top in their concern, and I'd try to pull them back a little bit because it just sounded like a little too doomsday. But I got it, but then they got it done. Yeah, totally, man. I mean, listen, they imagine what these kids are going to feel like when they actually see what Oxford's all about. Once they get here, they don't even know, they don't even get a chance to experience during the visit what what really makes Oxford special, and that's one, the the campus being being so nice, the town being so safe on top of, um, you know, it's, it's just a cool place to come visit. So whenever they get here and get going, man, I mean, they're going to be even more impressed. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it's just, just really impressive what they're able to do without having people on campus and, and selling the one thing that, that, that really brings people to Ole Miss, and that's, you know, just the overall feel and atmosphere. And if you look at um, what what he's doing when he's making these hires, man, I mean, I think that the common trend is listen. I want dudes that can recruit. I feel like I'm good enough to coach them. If there's any deficiencies within these coaches, I'll fix it myself. And um, that's kind of a good motto, man. I mean, you, you bring the good players and then, you know, you, you would trade getting the, the, the top end player for, for elite coaching. And I'm not saying these guys can't coach, but Hey, let's at least get the, the really good talent, the NFL type bodies here on campus. And, and we'll, we'll figure it out when they get here. So um, recruiting is huge. Lane knows that. And um, that's, that's, that's certainly what it looks like. He's gearing his coaching staff for. We talked about ad nauseum last week, how almost had 18 kids enroll early, which is an unprecedented number. You usually don't see that. And that's a huge, huge thing. I don't know if Ole Miss is going to have spring practices. Actually, if you made me guess, if you made me put odds on it, I would say they don't have spring practices. But getting them in, getting them in the weight room, that matters too. Getting them familiar with their surroundings, what they're going to do, that matters. And on Monday, that was the first day of the off-season strength and conditioning program with Wilson Love and his coaching staff, his strength and and, um, conditioning coaching staff. So what is that like? What is it like to start? And what are the next couple of weeks, months, whatever, however long it lasts, what is that like for a player? Um, when you first come in, it all depends on where you came from. I mean, some people come from really organized, um, you know, schools, bigger areas that that run a very good system. Some people come from areas that are less fortunate and they just don't have the resources to to um, you know run a program the way that some of these bigger ones are. So, really, it depends on where you come from. But um, with my experience, you know, coming in. Um, you know, it was just a different speed, a different, a different accountability, a different kind of um, atmosphere. You know, a lot of these guys that have, are only used to being the best player 
Um, they're very confident, very laid back, very, you know, but they, they, they all, they're always been the man. But when you get here, you're, you're right at the bottom of the totem pole. You're actually probably one of the worst players there. Um, you may have a lot of upside, a lot of potential, but you're very far behind compared to a lot of the other guys. And, and some people have the mindset to come in and, and, you know, catch on quicker. Some guys, it takes a little longer, man. So it's definitely, it de- it's definitely a learning curve. Um, you know, when you get in, you're, you're in the middle of a, a bunch of all the really good athletes all over the nation. So, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely a little bit of an adjustment and I'll be interested to see who are the guys that, that can kind of step up and, and get in there quicker than, than some of the others. If you're a vet, what's it like? Um, so it's definitely much more comfortable than, than, I mean, the young guys, you feel like it's like, holy crap, what I step into it's into the world. Like, man, it's a different ball game. Well, the bet when when it's just like anything, when you know what to expect, you know how to prepare for it, you know, your mind's ready. You've been through these drills before you've been through this workout before, you know, you know, you you know how to get through these things and, um, and make the best of them and, and get yourself better. Well, Sometimes when you're working out and you don't know when the when the light at the end of the tunnel is coming, it's a, it's a tough feeling, man, because you don't know you don't know what the, you know how much of this you could actually take. So for the veterans, I mean, they, they obviously you know they have stuff they want to work on, they attack it, they they become leaders, and they and they you really want to pull all these other guys along with you. Some of these younger guys that are you know trying to catch on and and, and try to get where you're at, you want to be a good leader and pull these guys. You don't want to be a selfish guy, not not trying to help out and and, and set good examples. So. Yeah, it's t- certainly easier being an older guy. What's the schedule like? Well, everybody does it different, man. I mean, when it, my experience in college, we obviously, you know, we were we did a lot of morning stuff. We had the little five five a.m. Um, workouts that were that were unbelievably <laughs> unbelievably hard to get up when you're setting your alarm for four thirty in the morning or even late four fifteen in the morning trying to get over there and get dressed and get rolling. But um, for the most part, I mean, you got school, whatever your classes are, and then um, you either do morning or, or, or afternoon. And they kind of you know schedule your your schedule around it, and then you know it's usually in the spring. It's usually a um, you know two and a half, three hour workout somewhere in there is what we always did, and then then you're kind of free to go until until actual ball start, starts up. All the on field stuff is voluntary, and you know all about quarterbacks and wide receivers getting in sync and throwing to each other and all that kind of stuff. What do offensive linemen do? Um, well, the thing for offensive linemen, obviously you want to watch film, you know, that that's obviously big. You want to work out, get as strong and, um, you know, as big as you can the correct way. And then, you know, I don't know if they do on field drills or not. Some places do, some places don't, but, um, I always like to, you know, kind of get together and do some, some different footwork stuff, work on your hands together. Um, you obviously can't go against anybody, but there's different stuff you can do with your feet and, um, you know, different, different weight distribution throughout your, throughout your body that kind of keeps you balanced. That can, that can certainly help out and, and help your pass set. You get a little muscle memory. This is more of kind of a muscle memory type of, type of, um, type of deal where you can get some good sets in, get some good rhythm. But yeah, it's really hard for linemen. Linemen kind of get the, the crap into the stick when it comes to actually preparing for what you're going to be dealing with. Do certain guys have to step up and lead guys? Does that matter? Is that overstated? Isn't that more of a media narrative? No, it's it's certainly it's it. Listen, the overall attitude is is going to be reflected of your leaders, man. I mean, if you if you have a group of guys that that want to do something special, the 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 attitude, the attention to detail, the focus is going to be it's going to be very high. I mean, you get it when you're in the locker room, you're playing around, you have a good time, but when you step out there to work, it needs to be a a, a one focus together. I mean, it needs to be the whole team working to get better. You don't need to be, have guys that are skipping sets don't want to be there you go in there you be a pro you get your damn work done you know when you leave the building you can have a, you relax you're good to go but when you're in there you're in there with one mission one goal and that's to you know to get better at what you need to get better at if you don't do that 
spring is a time for you to make improvements. You, once you get to camp, there's nothing really more to prove on other than football stuff. Your body is what it's going to be for that year. You can't go start squatting heavy and doing all kinds of stuff to be, get stronger. You have to do all that in the spring, and the spring is when people make their biggest jumps. I've heard some pretty legendary strength or weight room stories, including how much Ted the rent could put up. Any particular story stick out to you? Um, I would say, remember, do you remember Reshaw Johnson? Yeah. Um, Reshaw Johnson, offensive lineman. He was, he always did some amazing, I mean, <laughs> this dude had no technique on power cleans and he was every bit of, you know, somewhere 385, 400, you know, just picking it up with his back boat, all kinds of stuff and just throwing it up. Um, I, I mean, yeah, there's, there's been some, there's been some good stories in there. Um, Jamarcus Sanford was ungodly bencher. I mean, this dude could bench the house and he was, wasn't that big of a dude. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's been some impressive stuff. Strength coaches always release different numbers, like, um, clean numbers, maybe power numbers, whatever it might be. So if on Twitter, Ole Miss football, Twitter, they release these different graphics, what actually matters? If you're a fan and you're trying to make heads or tails of what the numbers you're looking at are, what actually matters as far as the off season and getting the work in right now? Um, I think that's a broad question. Obviously, every player is different, but I always like, I mean, if a team is power cleaning and stuff and doing cleans, I think cleans are cleans and squats are, are a big tell of what kind of athlete they are, especially power cleans, man, because it just shows how explosive the guy is. And when you're explosive, you can run, and it shows how um, quick you are. I don't really care about bench. I mean, everybody has different different um, you know limbs. I mean, some guys, I mean, like Bobby Massey, he can't bench a lot, but the dude will absolutely like choke you out with his punch, you know? So it's just like... Bench and all that's cool, um, but it's nothing. It's not going to define you as an athlete. I like explosive things. How how, you know how how high can a guy jump? How how can he you know how far can he broad stuff like that? Explosive stuff will really tell you what kind of athlete you're dealing with. And you look at a guy like Brandon Bolden. He was you know running back, but the dude was always cleaning like 350, 360. And I mean, I, I barely I got to 300 I think one time, which is you know okay for a lineman, but. Um, there's some dudes, like there's some dudes that are really explosive and it shows, you know, what kind of athlete they are. And Brandon Bolton used to be one of those guys who was, um, he used to put up good numbers and cleans and, and most really good athletes can clean well. Before we were friends back when I was a young reporter and you were leaving, it was your last year. It was like an exit interview. And I asked you directly, I said, who's next in line. Do you think of the offensive lineman? And you mentioned Reshaw. And then of course, Reshaw, <laughs> gets kicked off the team because Reshaw was doing some things. He was uh, he was doing some things. We'll just put it that way. He was selling some things. And I'll never forget that because I, I remember I was ready to hype up and write about Reshaw Johnson because I'd heard all these really uh, almost legendary stories about how good he was in practices. And he's a coach now, I think, and he's doing really successfully in coaching or whatever it might be. Um, but I just remember that vividly. I would, you would watch him and, and you would think he's got it, but then he couldn't keep his nose clean. But I'll never forget that. You told me that straight up. Oh, what Rishaw Johnson. I mean, he's an NFL offensive lineman. Yeah. He ended up going to play in the NFL for a little while. Um, I want to say he played three or four years. Um, but the same kind of story. Rishaw is one of the most explosive, strongest dudes ever. If you line Rishaw Johnson up with any guy that's ever played at Ole Miss, he would absolutely flat back him. He used to absolutely flat back him in Oklahoma drill. It was, there was no, you could not be Rishaw in that drill. But when it comes to overall putting it all together, you know, there was some, you know, actually knowing who to block, um, actually, you know, doing, using his explosiveness and explosiveness in a, um, 
technical manner was not there for Rishaw. But if he got a hold of you one on one, he was he was dropping you like a fly, and it wasn't even gonna be close. Yeah, if you could have taken Davron Gerald's mind and put it in Rishaw, that's the perfect lineman. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Davern was, he was a very good player himself, but Reshaw had next level power. I think Michael Orr used to always talk Reshaw up too, uh, with how strong he was because he would do some, some amazing things at times. Um, you know, you have to have a complete package as, as a football player. You can't be um, just all power. Yeah. Cause Mike wasn't particularly strong. Yeah. Mike, Mike was, um, he's one of those dudes, very athletic, probably clean a lot more than he could bench and stuff. Um, but yeah, Mike was a, he was just ridiculously athletic. So yeah, he was one of those guys who, who was just strong enough, but he, he survived off of being very athletic and, um, being absolute, absolutely physical. So he, he, he had good flexibility. You can't discount that as well. You know, guys that can bend real well, you can, um, get some leverage on some of the stronger guys. So yeah, Mike wasn't like a blow you away in the weight room guy, but he was um, very explosive, very athletic. And, um, you know, obviously the rest is history with him. He was a first rounder and good NFL player for a reason. Just goes to show you the NFL combine and all these numbers and stuff, it's overblown. Now, does it matter? Sure, it matters. But to a point, Laramie Tunsil did not test well. He wasn't a great weight room guy. And he's Laramie Tunsil. He's the best offensive lineman to ever come through here. He's a great left tackle for the Houston Texans. That stuff can be overblown to a point. Yeah, he's the best left tackle in the NFL right now. It's And there's multiple people within that think that and believe that. he is. He's certainly certainly the best guy out there. Um, one thing you can't measure and that's, that's guys ability to play the football, play football with a calm mind. Um, guys actually know how to play the game. You know, sometimes athleticism, all that, it looks good on paper, but there's just guys out there and there's, you know, multiple guys. You look at Andrew Whitworth, you look at uh, multiple guys throughout the years that do are near, nearly as athletic as some of these guys, but they know how to play the game. They're mentally tough. They know how to handle adversity. Those are all things you can't test at the combine. So um, you can look good in the underwear Olympics, but when it comes, when there's a dog lined up over you, how are you going to respond when he kicks your ass? One, two, how are you going to do technically that? How can you outsmart this guy to be able to block him? So there, there, there's, there's certainly a factor of that, that, that just can't be measured. Man. So many memories are coming rushing back right now. Since we talked about Reshaw, like Clarence Jackson, Stealing that TV out of Hume Hall, and when he gets pulled over, the TV's in his back in the back of his truck, or Tony Grimes and Delvin Jones setting a couch on fire in Denton. Oh, those are the fun days. Those are the fun days. There was a lot yeah. of talent on that team, but <laughs> that uh, that team was a little out of control. You had Greg, as Forty's talked about on this podcast, bringing ninja stars into the locker room, or leaving yeah. for a week to go to Disney World. During a game week. Greg was a fun guy, man. Amazing athlete. Very, Yeah, he just, um, Greg was in his own world. Apparently he couldn't get a little rowdy, but I, I've always thought Greg was like the coolest, nicest guy. And I'm sure there's a lot of other people that says that as well, but I've never had an issue with Greg Hardy ever. Like I've just seen him do some, you know, obviously interesting stuff. But for the most part, Greg's always been a pretty cool, chill guy. Just I, some of the stuff they say that he does or has done is just hard to even see. Yeah, but that's kind of the telltale sign of a true sociopath. I'm not trying to be a jerk because <laughs> Greg in every interaction I've had with him been nothing but nice. The funniest story I got about Greg, cause I wasn't in there in the locker room with uh, Greg, like y'all were, but we were waiting after practice. We talked to Houston and Greg was requested. We talked to Houston, we get done and we turn around and Greg is sitting down on the ground, Indian style, crisscross applesauce. And we walk over and our stupid little group surrounds him 
And you would think, if it were you, for example, you probably would have gotten up and started chatting. Greg looked up at us and just stared at us. And finally, David Brandt just broke the ice and sat down. And we all sat down with him, and we had a little powwow talking to Greg Hardy. <laughs> he is what he is. Yeah, he's a he's he's quite a character, man. Hopefully, he's doing much better. Yeah, well, he's fighting, so he had to, you know, kind of direct that anger and that physicalness somewhere. So maybe that's more productive. I don't know how we got here. We just were talking and walking down memory lane. But now it's time to go to the Modern Women phone line. If you haven't already subscribed, rate, review, talk of champions and iTunes, and when you do, leave a five star review. Also available in SoundCloud and Spotify. Just simply search Talk of Champions. I write for the Ole Miss Spirit, omspirit.com and affiliate of 247 Sports. John David Baker is the newest hire for Lane Kiffin's staff. Takes over for Joe John Finley, who left to go to Oklahoma. Antonio Morales, old friend of the program. Formerly the Ole Miss beat reporter for the Jackson Clarion Ledger. He covers USC football for The Athletic. And he's here to talk about the newest hire for Lane Kiffin. And we go to him now. But first, got to say bye to Brad. See you, Brad. See you, Ben. Howdy, toddy. That was Bradley Sal jumping now to Antonio Morales on the Modern Women phone line. But first, let's hear from B&A Bank and Cheney's Pharmacy, two proud sponsors of Talk of Champions. Reason number 12 to bank at BNA. We are the bank for Northeast Mississippi. We have one home, Northeast Mississippi. Seeing this local Northeast Mississippi economy thrive and helping the people of our area with their borrowing needs is our only focus. From buying a home to starting your own business, we are the team of local lenders standing ready to make your dreams a reality. BNA Bank. We are the bank of Northeast Mississippi. Member FDIC, an equal housing lender. A new year is here, and you want to put your best foot forward. The only way to do that is to make sure that you're taking care of yourself, that you're keeping yourself safe, that your pharmacy is one you can trust. Well, there's only one pharmacy in Oxford, Mississippi, that can do just that. Cheney's Pharmacy, a locally owned pharmacy that's been in Oxford for over 40 years, as red and blue as the rebels themselves. Cheney's Pharmacy offers prescription synchronization, immunizations, compounding, a two-lane drive-through and available hours that ensure your needs are met on your own time. Cheney's also accepts all third-party insurance. Cheney's Pharmacy provides the best customer service out there. Hands down, it's not close. So give Cheney's a call, 662-234-7221, or go visit them at 501 Bramlett Boulevard. That's right off of University Avenue. They're open 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Monday through Saturday, 1 p.m. to 9 p.m. on Sundays. You can visit them online at cheneyspharmacy.com. Make sure your pharmacy is one you can trust. Chinese Pharmacy, much more than just a pharmacy. The Modern Woodman Phone Line. Cool, we'll talk. No big whoop. No big whoop. Where the best Ole Miss guests from far and wide drop in to talk the very latest in Rebel Sports. Modern Woodman, let's make a difference together. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. Joining me now on the Modern Women phone line, it's good friend of the pod. Hadn't been on in so long, two years or so, in fact. It's Antonio Morales. You know the name because he formerly covered Ole Miss for the Jackson Clarion Ledger. Now he's a big shot. He covers USC football for the Athletic. Hey, buddy. Ben, man, I miss being on. How's it going? Good. How are you? How's life treating you out there? good man you know the season slowed down a little bit so just covering some recruiting and some coaching uh, maneuvering 
uh, over these past couple of weeks and uh, just trying to stay busy. Even with Ole Miss hiring Southern Cal's tight ends coach, <laughs> you were still writing some Ole Miss stuff. I read some of your stuff. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, just uh, I thought it was interesting when those guys, the 2017 class, obviously it's not the greatest class in the world by, by any stretch of the imagination, uh, but those guys stuck around through a lot. Um, so prior to the Outback Bowl, yeah, I wrote something about them, you know, Ben Brown, Momo uh, Sanago, and some of those guys, uh, three head coaches and the bull band and all that stuff they went through because, you know, I just thought they had an interesting story. And uh, it, was, it was cool to see them finally playing a bowl game. At least you're not one of those people that every Sunday on Twitter acknowledge <laughs> that A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf, Dawson Knox, Jordan Tiamu, to a lesser extent with Jordan, were all on the same team and went 5-7. and seven. It's every Sunday. And I think people fail to realize, like, look at Alabama's 2017 recruiting class that has, like, Jerry Judy Tua, and Mac Jones and Najee and all those guys. And people are like, how did Ole Miss not win anything? Or look at that recruiting class <laughs> that Alabama had. It was, And if they saw that defense that Ole Miss had at the time, it was very understandable why uh, they, want, they went 6-6 six and six in 2017 or 5-7 or and seven in, in 2018. Look, I've fallen into the trap. I've actually posted that before on Twitter. I didn't put in there what I should have, which is Wesley McGriff. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, that defense was rough. And, you know, what, if you look back at it, I mean, Breland Speaks and Benito Jones and Marquise Haynes, like that's much more gifted talent up front than they have now. And even A.J. Moore is, you know, turned into a good player in the NFL. Um, so there's pieces there. It was just a, a, a really bad defense. And he still put together the statistically worst defense to ever play at Ole Miss, even with talent that's still in the league. That's not here. what we're here to talk about. What we're here to talk about is John David Baker. Look, every one of us on the Ole Miss beat completely missed on this dude. Had no clue. No one even had a sniff that this is where Lane Kiffin was going. First and foremost, what is Ole Miss getting in John David Baker? Uh, they're getting a relatively young coach who who's recruited well so far. Uh, he's Graham Harrell's basically right-hand guy. When Graham Harrell, I think he turned down North Carolina back in the 2018 coaching carousel. And when he got the call from Southern California, from Southern Cal, John David Baker, he, he called John David Baker and he told him, Hey, look up the tape. And Baker was basically looking up the tape for, for Harold about USC and kind of what their personnel was and what, what the offense was looking like. Um, so he's, he's a guy, he's trusted him, you know, right away. And he, he asked him for his opinion. Um, Baker was Baker's good friends with Graham Harold's brother. They played college football together. I think at Abilene Christian. Uh, so they go back to, to then. And he was an assistant. He was an, an analyst with them for three years at North Texas. And, you know, once they discussed the, USC job, they both went. Graham came as an offense coordinator and Baker came as an analyst. And then after a year, he got promoted to uh, tight ends coach. And you know, he's very familiar with the air raid offense and things like that. Obviously, he has big Texas ties, being a Texas native. Uh, someone you know on the USC staff told me that he's really tight with Jeff Levy, uh, Baker that is. So I think that's kind of like, that kind of explains how he got the in over there at Ole Miss. I, I know people told me Clint Trickett, you know, interviewed for the job, but um, Levy is close with Baker. So I think that kind of explains how it, that end was there. And then obviously 
he recruited Michael Trigg, who was a four-star tight end, who Ole Miss was after two, and he got him assigned to USC, and he got Lake McCree. And uh, so, you know, he's he's proven himself pretty to be pretty adequate so far on the recruiting trail. Um, USC didn't really emphasize the tight ends a lot last year, uh, so we, can't, we couldn't really tell how his position group performed because it was an air raid offense. They just don't really throw to the tight ends much. So, you know, he, he's a young guy, and he's – familiar with the up-tempo kind of style of offense and he's recruited well I think that's all that's really known about him so far did you have any inkling that he could be potentially moving no not really just because he's been with Graham you know his whole career so far and we talked to him about it in in March because last offseason Harold interviewed with Texas for the offensive coordinator job he got offered that and he got offered the Philadelphia Eagles OC job. And this offseason, he interviewed with Boise State for their head coaching job. And that was wherever Graham was going to go, Baker was going to go with him too. They kind of been, you know, connected at the hip together. Um, so I was kind of surprised when I first saw it that he was going to Ole Miss, but the connection to Levy kind of helps provide some clarity on why he did go. And, and Lane's obviously got some guys with Texas ties, and it seems like, that's an area he's kind of emphasized in recruiting. And obviously Baker kind of fits that mold. You're uniquely qualified to answer this question because you've both covered USC and Ole Miss. The fit at Ole Miss with the Texas ties, with what the demands are of this job, regardless if you're the head coach or an assistant, do you like the fit? Yeah, yeah. He's. I, I think his position, the tight end position, will be emphasized more at Ole Miss. And that, that's a bonus for him too. And he'll get the promotion of the passing game coordinator title, which is, which is good for him because, you know, he's a young guy who's kind of been with Harold his whole career. So I think that's a, that's a good little addition to his resume. And, you know, he's recruited well and he knows that he knows Texas. He knows that region really, really well. Um, He's a a pure Texan. And uh, I remember one time when I interviewed him uh, like two years ago, he told me uh, Texas is the greatest country in the world. (laughs) So, uh, you know, um, he's a guy who's a pure Texan and, um, he didn't think he was in the like Southern California, Southern California at first. Uh, but he, he grew to adapt to it pretty well, but I'm sure he likes that part of the country, um, better. And, you know, so I think that's just, it just seems like a more maybe natural fit for him just to be in that region and he's closer to home. And, um, like I said, he's recruited well, and, uh, I, I think that'll, that'll help. Considered a rising star by many, 247 Sports had him as one of their 30 under 30 in 2020. What does a passing game coordinator do? I think they just kind of help, you know, kind of look at that game plan throughout the week um, and kind of oversee everything with the offensive coordinator in terms of how they want things to go with the passing game. Uh, So I'm sure he'll be working closely with Levy um, on that stuff and, you know, with the defense they see every week and obviously the opponents they have. And it'll be interesting to see what kind of flavor he adds to it because all this offense is really exciting to watch this year and it's really cool to watch how creative it was. I wonder if he'll bring any of the – obviously they won't be running the air raid, but it'll be interesting to see if he, if he brings any of those concepts that Graham Harrell might have shown at USC um, to Ole Miss and that offense over there because – um, you know, it, it's been cool to see how diverse that offense is at Ole Miss and what they do tempo-wise. Uh, it was one of the more fun offenses I watched in, in college football this year. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see kind of what elements he adds to it. Look, you're from Cali. You went back home. But, man, you leave 
and Lane Kiffin shows up, it'd be good for you to be here covering <laughs> Ole Miss. Now you'd be having fun. <laughs> uh, it was uh, it was a hectic time when I was out there, you know, from 2016 to 2018. So that was the tail end of uh, the NCAA investigation and going into basically uh, the NCAA ruling and the trial. We were in Cincinnati together. Uh, that was a fun time in the, the hotel lobby. <laughs> trying to look for Leo Lewis. Um, but uh, yeah, man, it was a hectic time. And, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's cool to see uh, Lane bring some excitement over there to that program and kind of give it a shot in the arm. I know when I left, uh, the fan base is pretty apathetic and I'm sure it kind of that increased over time. Um, once they didn't really have that big breakthrough under Matt Luke. And it was cool to see Lane give that program a shot in the arm. Those few days in Cincinnati were just awful. <laughs> I, I forgot where we ate, but I remember that food was pretty good. And uh, yeah, man, that was that was rough because I think they played UT Martin that Saturday and then that yeah. Sunday. I flew out, to, flew out to Cincinnati and then that Thursday I flew out to Cal. It was a long, long week, man. The funniest part about it is at one point you got so bored, you wrote a story about an Ole Miss message <laughs> board poster who sat there in the lobby with us. And uh, that was about the meatiest thing that came out of all of our reporting. <laughs> I talked to you for that story, JHV, man. Classic, oh, my uh, God. Did, did I, was I quoted? Yeah, yeah, you were quoted for it, man. I had to quote you uh, just because he was a long-time uh, spirit poster. Didn't he get banned from the spirit or something? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did. He did. And I think he went to <laughs> Neil's so, board, yeah. and he's gotten banned from there since. So now doubly banned. <laughs> Yeah, I used to see him from time to time in Oxford um, after that in the months that followed. But, uh, yeah, that was definitely an interesting story to uh, kind of cover while we were there. And, um, you know, your quotes your quotes are funny as well. Look at now where everybody has gone that's been involved in that process. Matt Ball is the assistant AD at Auburn. Ross Bjork has moved on to Texas A&M. Hugh Freeze is stuck at Liberty. What do you make of it now with distance? Uh it was crazy then. Uh, like I, like I hovered over everything I did like every day <laughs> um, for like a year and a half. Um, so I was glad, you know, when it ended. Um, I, I think I was stressing about it more than I should have um, when, when I was covering it. But uh, it's just kind of crazy to see, um, you know, I, I'm I'm always curious about the Rebel Rags case and like what's going on with that. <laughs> um, just because I put so much time and effort into it. But uh, it seems like, you know, Ole Miss, obviously it hurt at the time, but I think they got out of it all right. You know, they they never hit rock bottom. It never went like two and 10. I know they went like four and eight uh, under Matt Luke his last year or whatever, but they never hit like rock bottom. Like a lot of people thought they would, or it was, you know, two and 10 or, or three and nine or something like that. Even that four and eight was kind of competitive um, in, in most of those games. Um, so I think, you know, obviously it set Ole Miss back and I think it hurt most in the recruiting classes, the 2017 class and 2018. I think that's what hurt the most, but I think Ole Miss for as bad as it was, um, I think it could have been worse. So, um, you know, I think they avoided the worst case scenario. When you see what's happening with Tennessee, does it trigger some PTSD? Uh, that's what I was thinking about the other day. Like, are they going to be in a similar position as Ole Miss was during the 2017 search where, you know, people are like, who's going to take this job? They don't know what the NCAA ruling is going to be, but, you know, I think Tennessee, like I don't see them good, being good for like 
another like five years or so because when Ole Miss was hiring their coach, that ruling was going to come in like a week or two. Um, Tennessee, it's the NCAA hasn't even really seemed to step in there yet. So, um, you know, the the, the uncertainty is going to be there for a long, long time. Um, and when Ole Miss was going through their stuff, they were they were coming off an NCAA, uh, a Sugar Bowl and two New Year's Six bowl games, and Tennessee's have been struggling for a while. Um, so, you know, I think they're in pretty bad shape, and I don't, I don't expect them to be good for a while. All this Lane Kiffin to Tennessee stuff is so, I mean, it's just bullshit. There's nothing to it. <laughs> I get why they want it, but why would Lane Kiffin walk into that? No one wants to walk into that. Hugh Freeze would walk into that because Hugh Freeze is desperate. But other than Hugh Freeze, who's not going to get hired there, who's taking that job? Yeah, that's, that's the question I've always had. I, I know a lot of people just assume Jamie Chadwell will, uh, but I don't, I don't know if he'll be the first call. Or anything there. I think that would be a, a good hire for them, but um, I'm interested to see what Danny White does. Uh, I, I think the, the Hypo hire at UCF was kind of puzzling when he made that one, but he's made some good hires before. Um, so I'm interested to see what direction he goes. I know people have talked about PJ Fleck, and it seems like there's more smoke around that now. Uh, but I don't know how that I don't know how that kind of I don't want to say gimmick, but that stick would work in the SEC, like would it get laughed at like Butch Jones was like, so, so I'm curious to see kind of what, what kind of hire would satisfy that fan base. Who do you think eventually takes the plunge with Hugh Freeze? Man, I'm curious because it, it seems like the SEC schools have kind of avoided it. And uh, like, he doesn't have ties to like any like Pac-12 schools or any schools really outside of the SEC. So like, if he's not going to be hired in the SEC, I don't know where he's going to go. Like, um, and the SEC jobs that are going to open eventually at some point, like, I don't know, like LSU want to hire him, Alabama want to hire him. Like, like who, like, I don't know who would hire him in the league. Like Auburn just opened and they didn't talk, they didn't, they hired Harson. And if Tennessee's not going to hire him, then I don't know really who will. So it's, it's, it's puzzling to me and I'm, I'm really interested to see where he goes. I thought, I thought like some school like Arizona could have like been a good fit for him. Um, but like, I don't think he would ever, he would ever come to the Pac-12. It's just not a region of the country he's, he's been in before. Um, where do you think he's going to end up? An NC state makes sense. Yeah. That could work. But the um, thing is I'm with you. If he didn't get hired in the sec, this hiring cycle, He's never getting hired by an SEC school. South Carolina mm-hmm. made too much sense. Auburn made some sense. But Alan Green and Matt Ball are two Ole Miss guys. Matt Ball was never going to allow, if he had any pull or sway whatsoever, <laughs> let Alan hire Hugh Freeze. And give Alan Green credit. He basically pushed off all his boosters and said, look, I'm going to hire my guy. But if Tennessee doesn't hire Hugh Freeze with what they're facing, who's going to hire him? That's, that's the thing I keep running into is, I think Tennessee, I think if there was no NCAA stuff around Tennessee, they would have hired him. But with this NCAA stuff, I don't, I don't think there's any way it can happen now. Um, even though the, their investigation seemed like kind of a farce and it just seemed like a reason to fire Pruitt. But they're going to have to deal with the consequences of that now. And I, I don't think that leaves any room for Q Freeze to be the football coach. Now, you weren't there when Lane Kiffin was at USC, but did you like the fit when you heard Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss? I knew it would be entertaining. Uh, no matter what happened, no matter how it unfolded, I know I knew it was gonna be entertaining. Um, and you knew he's gonna recruit well there. 
um, just because he's recruited well pretty much everywhere he's gone. Um, so I, I knew it was going to help the program and get the program a boost from that standpoint. And I think the first year, what he showed offensively, uh, schematic-wise, was um, made it an attractive option for guys. And I think that showed, you know, down the stretch of the recruiting cycle where they kind of moved up 40 or 50 spots, however they moved up uh, in that final week or two. So I'm interested to kind of see what, what he does this year. I, I thought he was going to be good with Corral. Um, and I was looking forward to seeing how they kind of meshed together, you know, two former Southern California guys who are kind of, you know, shunned by other programs, USC included. Um, I, was, I, I just felt like their personalities were going to, you know, match well um, together. And, uh, you know, it, it was a good partnering throughout this season and Corral played really well. I know he had some some downs against LSU and Arkansas and stuff like that, but for the most part, he played really well. And I'm excited to see kind of what they do offensively um, this year. Here's the last thing. Let's be real. Lane Kiffin never stays anywhere a long time, so he's not going to be at Ole Miss as their forever coach or anything like that. So for Ole Miss, if he were to leave in the next couple of years, do you think Jeff Levy could be a candidate to be the replacement head coach? And if he were to be the head coach, get promoted in that way, could a John David Baker then take on a more uh, significant role? Is he that kind of capable coach as far as his star rising? I, I think Levy's obviously a good coach, but I, I don't know. Like, I don't know about just promoting the offensive coordinator to head coach. I feel like you probably might want to go somewhere more proven. Uh, just because Webby hasn't been a head coach before. I guess he appealed to it. The offense has been doing really, really well. And, you know, it was a, it was a great offense to watch this year. Um, but, I mean, that'll be something up, up to Keith. You know, when, when Keith had his opening, we saw what he did. He went for a proven guy. Um, even during the basketball search, when Keith was helping Ross, they went for kind of a proven head coach. Um, so that seems like it's been his method so far. I think Webby will have a case, but, you know, when that job does come open again, I kind of feel like like Keith would go with with a proven head coach. I buy that because Penny did want the Ole Miss job. Well, Memphis wasn't open yet, but Penny mm-hmm. had Memphis not open, desperately wanted that job, and they went with Kermit Davis, the sure thing, the guy that had been there and uh, been through those wars before. I can buy that. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting. What, what are kind of the expectations now for year two for Lane? Okay, four and five translates to what seven, eight wins in a normal year. Yeah, is it fair to say nine wins or bust? I feel like eight, nine wins is kind of. I feel like nine's more on the best case scenario side, with eight kind of being more realistic. Um, but you know, I don't see why. Like, obviously, Texas A&M is gonna be tough, but they're losing a lot of guys offensively. Um, Alabama's going to be tough, obviously. Um, who knows what's going to happen with LSU and what Auburn's going to look like. But, I mean, I feel like eight wins is realistic. Are you a Heisman voter? Uh, this is my first year voting for the Heisman. Okay. Is Matt Corral a Heisman candidate in the preseason? I think he's like a dark horse, like fringe candidate. Um, I think he'll get some kind of hype in the preseason just because, you know, he did so well this year, obviously. Um, the partnership with Lane will kind of increase that kind of awareness nationally. Um, and, and people will talk about him. And who's coming back at quarterback in the SEC? Um, I'm really high on Bryce Young. I've seen him out here plenty of times, and I wrote about him a lot. 
um, when he was committed to USC. I'm really high on him, uh, but he's unproven right now. And, um, you know, so I, I think Corral will get a lot of hype just because he's probably going to be one of the best quarterbacks without the best one uh, coming back on the SEC next year. Are you a top 25 voter? Yes. No, no. Just what? Yeah. Okay. If you were a top 25 voter, would you put Ole Miss in the top 25? I think so. I'd probably put them, you know, in the 20, 25 range. Um, but I think they should be in there. They have a lot of talent coming back offensively. I know they lose Elijah Moore, but uh, I think Kiffin will be able to scheme around that. And we saw we saw in the Outback Bowl they're able to do just fine um, without Elijah Moore against a good Indiana against a good Indiana team. And we'll have Jerry Neely back, and he wasn't in the Outback Bowl. And I really like that running back group over there with Snoop Connor and Parrish and those guys. And I was impressed by the offensive line this year too. Um, so I think the offense will be good enough to have them in the top 25. We'll just see what the, what the defense does. And if, if they make any leaps this year, um, is that recruiting that's, uh, that was kind of hindered the past couple of years. It's really coming to bite them back on, back on that, uh, on that side of the ball. Um, so I, I think there'll be a top 25 team to start the year. Um, it'll just be interesting to see what the defense does. You're going to be watching Ole Miss football forever, aren't you? You're not going to be able to get away from it. <laughs> It's too entertaining. Yeah. And you were too involved, man. You saw the inner workings. You were in the sausage factory, man. I know you don't want to eat the sausage biscuit, but it is alluring every once in a while. So look at you. <laughs> Ole Miss football still yeah. got your eye a little bit. A little bit. Yeah, I can, I can watch it and not have to like worry about covering it and all the drama yes. that goes around with it. Yes. Um, so, so it's good to watch it from that angle. He's Antonio Morales. He covers USC for The Athletic. It's been too long. It was good catching up. Thanks for doing this, man. And we got to do it again. We can't let two years go by without talking. That's terrible friendship. For sure, man. No doubt. Whenever you need me on, just let me know. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.